Welcome, everyone, to the Labor Day edition of our podcast. The name of this podcast is Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. Hello, everyone. John Leahy with you. I couldn't be happier to have you with us here on the podcast this week uh, as well as every week. I want to take a moment, first of all, before we get started with this week's show, I would like to thank, profusely thank, my guest from last week, the voice of Penn State uh, football and basketball and State College Spikes baseball, real good friend Steve Jones. Uh, Steve was a joy to talk with last week. We had a lot of great broadcasting talk, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it uh, so far, as well as all of the episodes that we've done. Please consider subscribing to the podcast. You can find uh, the podcast on Apple, uh, Spotify, and anywhere that uh, podcasts are heard. So uh, we go from one great broadcaster to another. Uh, Joining me on the podcast this week is a gentleman who I've had the pleasure with working with in Hockey East. Uh, He is a man who has done National Hockey League work with the New Jersey Devils, and uh, he was uh, fortunate enough to watch the New Jersey Devils win a Stanley Cup. And we have a long uh, history that we're going to discuss in terms of broadcast with my next guest. John Hennessy is my guest. I couldn't be happier to have John with us. Uh, John, thanks so much for uh, taking some time with us on the podcast this week. Oh, it's my pleasure, John. Happy to be here. All right, John. Well, uh, we are delighted to have you, certainly. And I thought we'd just go back before we uh, get into the meat and potatoes. I thought we might start uh, with your history a little bit. Uh, You know, you uh, went to Providence College, and I know you were there from 78 to 82, and and you got your degree in business administration and management, but uh, you went on to broadcasting from there. So when did you make the decision that you know, hey, uh, broadcasting is for me, it's what I want to do, and uh, particularly hockey. Uh, At Providence College, at the student radio station, uh, my freshman year, there was an audition for the play-by-play position, and I won the audition. (laughs) And I ended up broadcasting the games on the college radio station for four years. Uh, And then after that, I actually went to graduate school uh, at William Patterson College in New Jersey, where I'm from, and where I'm speaking to you from today. And uh, I took TV production there. For a while, I thought maybe I'd like to get into TV on the production side. And I said, nah. And then I ended up moving to Boston, and I got a job at WBZ working as a producer, and I did that for a while. And one thing led to another, and I ended up going to Albany to work for the Devil's Farm team, the Albany River Rats. Yes. And we want to... Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. A lot of time on the bus, John, as you know, <laughs> from your baseball days. But that was a lot of fun and made made a lot of great a lot of great memories there. And in fact, we won a Calder Cup in Albany back in 1995. That's the American League Championship. Yeah, great stuff. And I do want to touch on on Albany and uh, a few other things with you. Uh, but sure. I, I I thought we would start by you know really how you got started. Uh, you got your start in Providence with the Friars right. at uh, WDOM Radio, and uh, right. you know you worked at doing Friar hockey. So so tell us how that uh, experience was when you were just starting out, getting your feet in the business, and how exciting that was. It was really exciting. And honestly, I didn't really know what the heck I was doing. You know, I had no background in radio or play by play. Um, But I just basically said what I saw. And it just kind of naturally came to me. So I I was blessed with that talent to do that. I just said what I saw. (laughs) It was very simple. And I used to make up my little line charts. Now they're all nice and printed up in college hockey for you. But I used to make up my I actually when I did college hockey later, 
I still made up my own line charts because that's just the way that I learned how to how to broadcast the games. And I even did it in the NHL, even if the lines weren't correct. It, did, it didn't really matter because I had all the right wingers on the right side, all the left wingers on the left side, all the centers down the middle. And uh, but, yeah, I just slowly found my way, John. And by the time I was a senior, I was I was very comfortable with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you make a great point about spotting charts. Every broadcaster has their own method for preparing for right. games. Um, can you talk a little bit about the specific way that you did that preparation in terms of the line charts? Yeah, I um, a friend of mine had had shown me that he uh, a gentleman that had preceded me at Providence uh, that he did line charts and he showed me his. So that's how I learned how to do it. Gentleman by the name of Ken Kreitzer, and so I just kind of copied his system. But then you know your 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 system evolves where you have all the stats, the power play numbers and penalty kill numbers on one side. And you have the player stats next to their number. You, you would write the number down and the player's name over that. And then how many goals an assistant had, how many power play goals, how many winning goals he had. If he had a lot of penalty minutes, I would write that down. And it just, the sheet evolved until there was a lot of information on it, all the way from the forwards to the defensemen, to the goalkeepers. For the goalkeepers, obviously, you would have their record there, their um, goals against average or save percentage their height, their weight. That would go for all the players, by the way. Right. Height, weight, and where they were from, what you know, where what town they were from. And if they played junior hockey, I would write that down too, what junior team uh, they had played for previous to their collegiate play. Right, and basically what we're talking about is instant identification. You want to be able to have that information at your right. at your fingertips. And, you right. know, every broadcaster has their own different way of doing it. You know, I used to do uh, large uh, spotting boards on, uh, on a special uh, poster board that I would get at Staples, and then I upgraded kind of to computer uh, computer. Uh, spotting boards, but you know it's a fascinating topic. But I noticed, John, also that uh, you did some work at Northeastern as well. So, uh, how did you wind up there? Was it uh, simply a transition from Providence? And talk a little bit about your time at Northeastern. <laughs> I was actually working at a radio station in Framingham, WKOX, and they carried Northeastern Athletics. They had a football team at the time, basketball and hockey. And I was I had a sports talk show there, and I also DJed there. But when there was a Northeastern game, I got preempted. But whoever was whoever was working ended up working the board for Northeastern hockey or basketball, as the case may be. And Rob Rudnick, who's still doing Northeastern hockey and a good friend of ours, uh, he had a conflict one night where he, he had both a hockey game and a basketball game. And he asked me if I wanted to do the hockey game. I guess somehow he knew I had done the games. At Pro oh, I knew him from doing the games at Providence. Right. That's what it was. Right. And he asked me if I could fill in for him. So I did a handful of Northeastern games back when Chris Nyland was there. <laughs> so we're going back. Knuckles. Yeah, Knuckles Nyland. Knuckles and Rob Cowie. And they, they had some pretty good teams. So what was your uh, feeling about working at Matthews Arena? Certainly, you know, the the, yeah, the, yeah. Arena, the arena has been updated, you know, uh, since the old days. But uh, that's, that really is a special place. And uh, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on what it was like to work there. Uh, it was it was great. We used to broadcast from the first row of the upper deck, the balcony. I remember that. Was, yep. Oh my gosh! I think it was condemned for a couple of years too. There was no fans up there, and right. it was a it was a great broadcast position. You, you as you know, John, you you hung right over the ice, and you had a wonderful 
vantage point and the history in that building of course the Bruins used to play there before the old garden was built and it, it, it was very special to broadcast games there still is so I want to get this in before I forget it. You know, we had Chuck Caton yeah. on the podcast about a month ago, and I've talked to different broadcasters about this, but I want to get your thoughts about what it was like to broadcast at the XL Center in Hartford when you were up way up high on the roof, on the catwalk. Some broadcasters love it. Some hate it. I happen to be one of the ones that love it. I think I'm in the minority, but I got to get your, your opinion on uh, on that place. I liked it. I had no problem with it. If I guess broadcasters that had an issue with heights, <laughs> they would have an issue be, because if I recall the catwalk there kind of moves a little bit up and down when you're walking over right. it, you know, and, it, and it's a pretty long walk because you come out in the corner and then you have to walk down to center ice. But uh, once again, you know, you were, I, I never minded being high. I didn't like being far back. And that wasn't too far back, you know, being an ex-NHL rink. It was it was a good vantage point. I had no problems broadcasting there from the Hartford Civic Center or the XL Center, whatever. I'm sorry, whatever they call it today. Yeah, it's the XL. And and, and I love it because you get to see plays develop from up high. And, exactly. uh, you know, you can exactly. really be on top of the play before it happens. So I guess I'm in the minority there. You and I, I guess, are in the minority there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you had other college hockey experience as well, John. You, you did some work at RPI. That's another place that had a catwalk that you had to walk up and get to but uh you know you were in the capital region there uh with rpi and you know that must have been a fun experience as well yeah you know when i did the rpi games on tv actually and we didn't broadcast from the catwalk we broadcast from the last row of the press box okay they had built a they they had built a press box there now regular press box in the lower bowl and the engineers not only were they not very good the couple of years that i did the games i they hardly scored any goals <laughs> <laughs> they they were going through a rough patch but it was a lot of fun and i worked with some great people there craig darby was a partner of mine for a year doing games he's a former friar and former nhl player with the montreal Canadiens and the islanders he was a great color guy and a good friend and yeah, it, it was a good experience doing the RPI games. I just wish that they had been a little bit better. Because yeah. as you know, when you're when you're broadcasting for a team that's that's struggling and not doing well, it makes your job a lot more difficult. Yeah, it sure does. And now I'd I'd also like to touch on your time at WBZ, and uh, sure. you, you know you did some work with the Patriots. You also did uh, some work for uh, Boston College. Uh, WBZ is uh, certainly a, a great launching pad if you can get in there. There've been a lot of great personalities that have worked there over the years. So, uh, talk about your experience at WBZ and and how that helped you in your career. Sure, I started out just answering phones for talk shows, and I used to okay. keep the log for Dave Maynard. Dave had problems keeping, making sure that he played all the proper commercials. <laughs> ah, community so, auditions. I remember him hosting that show. So that was one of the first things I did at WBZ. And Dave was a great guy. And he treated me really well. God rest his soul. He was a very, very funny guy and a great entertainer. And some of the stuff that happened off the air was a lot funnier than the stuff that happened on the air, quite <laughs> frankly. And, you know, Gary LaPierre did the news of those days. And it was a wonderful experience. And slowly at WBZ, I worked my way up. Now, while I was at BZ, I was working at WKOX in Framingham as well. Neither station had a problem with it because I wasn't really on the air yet at WBZ. But then it came to be that they had the property rights to Boston College football. So I board up uh, BC football for a couple of years. 
SBC football on WBZ, right? Yeah. And then yeah. we got the then they got the Patriot rights, and I I used to board off the games for the Patriots. And then slowly, Gil Santos was very good to me. He knew I did a talk show out at WBZ and did I mean, excuse me at WKOX, and I also did the afternoon drive news there. And he gave me an opportunity to do some fill-in work. You know, on Christmas awesome. holidays, yeah. people would be off. And thanks. I used to work a lot of Thanksgivings, reading all the high school football scores. So slowly over time, I went from keeping Dave Maynard's logs to being on the air doing fill in sports. So that that's how that evolved. And being on the air at BZ, I can remember I was working the first time I was on the air with W at WBZ, Dave Maynard was doing the morning show and my knees were rocking. You know, and then Dave Maynard comes on. Dave Maynard comes on the intercom and says, "You know, only about a million people are are listening right now. How do you feel?" And I'm like, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I don't know. Somehow I was able to challenge, ch- ch- channel nervous energy into positive energy, and I guess I pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. And my guest last week, Steve Jones, he uh, was also mentored by Gil Santos. So uh, I think okay. it's great with the with the Patriot season starting Sunday that that uh, Gil uh, winds around into this conversation. But I remember calling over there one day. I, I called over to BZ for some reason, and Gil answered the phone. And I just remembered he had the voice of God. I mean, the man had sure boy the pipes that he sure had, uh, and he was the best at calling football that I've ever heard. And he just you were, when you listen to him call a game, you, you were just mesmerized by the way he did it. Yeah, he was he was fabulous, and he he did the morning drive sports for years at WBZ. But you're you're right, John. I mean his his skill at doing football, you know, whether it was at Penn State before he did the the, the Patriot games, it, it was amazing. And when I was there, his color man was Gino Capaletti, oh, and yeah. they were they were just wonderful together. And it was, it was a pleasure working the board, operating the board, you know, being a producer for those games, for those guys, because it was, it was a hoot. Well, and again, they weren't. Yeah. And again, the Patriots weren't very good in those days, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely, I remember those lean years when uh, you know they, we had the blackouts. Remember, the, John, the blackouts. You, you yeah. couldn't uh, you couldn't watch the game locally because they didn't sell enough tickets. So you'd have to. That's when you'd have to listen to the games on the radio. And uh, this is true. Yeah, Gil, you know, and W. Yeah. I'm sorry, John. WBZ TV used to buy tickets if it was close to a sellout, and you couldn't even give them away. <laughs> you know, nobody. <laughs> so, yeah, there they were some lean times, unfortunately. Thank God that has changed. Absolutely. Well, I, I'd, I'd like to touch on your time uh, in Albany, John. Sure. And, and there's, you know, I, I the first thing I got to bring up when we're talking about Albany is that horrific bus crash you were involved with. Now, you know, I talk to broadcasters all the time about travel and, you know, because I want our listeners and audience to understand what goes on behind the scenes. And travel, you know, is a big part of that, but but you had a horrific experience uh, coming home from Lowell, uh, going back to yeah. Albany one night, and uh, your bus had a crash, and you know that was a scary thing. So I'd like you to kind of uh, get our listeners up to speed as to as to what happened that night and how scary it was. It wasn't our normal bus driver, and that always kind of makes you a little nervous. And it was snowing. We came out of the rink in Lowell, and it was snowing pretty heavily. And the boat, the bus actually broke down about three or four times wow. <laughs> before the crash. Yeah, we actually switched buses somewhere outside of Worcester. We got off uh, 290 there in Worcester and pulled down some side road, and another bus had to come from Albany. So we just sat around for a couple of hours waiting for the other bus to come. 
but yeah, we were going over the Berkshires and and the bus fishtail that I'm, I just remember thinking, this isn't good. And now it's about four o'clock in the morning. And yeah, the bus flipped over and I actually got ejected and spent a few days in Berkshire Medical Center with a bad concussion. But uh, yeah, it was a very scary, very scary uh, situation. And fortunately, only about four or five of us were hurt seriously and needed hospitalization. I mean, everybody had to go to the hospital and it was snowing so heavily. I remember they tried to get a helicopter in to airlift some of us out, but that they couldn't get the helicopter in because of the wind and the snow. And of course it was at the farthest point from an exit on the Mass Pike. So the ambulances had to come all the way from Pittsfield. So it took a while to get to the hospital. You know, and you do a lot of do a lot of thinking when you're when you're laying there in a, in a gurney, bleeding profusely, thinking, "Oh my God, am I am I going to pass away in Pittsfield, Massachusetts?" You know, wow. but the people at Berkshire Medical Center were were just fantastic. What a great facility! You know, they do have a trauma center, and are, and they they did a great job, and and were able to patch us up. You know, that's the one thing that, you know, I always think of when I go on these long overnight trips, and I've been on so many of them in my career. And, yeah, you know, yeah. that that kind of thought sticks in the back of your mind. You know, you don't have any control over the situation no. when, when the bus is taking you somewhere. And, uh, you know, I've... I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I've been in an accident, but John, I'll tell you, that's, that's one of the hazards of the business that they, you know, you always have it in the back of your mind that, uh, something could happen. And I know, you know, like you said, there were a few players in addition to yourself that, that were, uh, that were yeah. really, really banged up. Yeah. Casey Bohr, a very good defenseman, uh, actually broke his neck. Um, yeah. and a few other guys never, Joe Jensen never played again either. He's, he was severely injured. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really a scary situation. There's so much travel, as you know, in, in in the minor leagues, regardless of the sport, between cities and overnights. And in the American League, there's crazy travel. You, you know, you play in Rochester on Saturday, Friday night, and then you might play Hershey Saturday night, and then you have an afternoon game in Bridgeport the next day. It's like I, I I'm exhausted, and all I'm, no one's trying to put me through the boards. I don't know how the players did it sometimes with all the travel and trying to sleep on the bus and, and get out and play a game. But uh, uh, thank God it doesn't happen more often. That, and that was a real tragedy. Absolutely. And uh, boy, I'm, I'm so glad you were able to survive that, uh, that hairy, hairy I'm a, situation. I have a, a thick Irish skull. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, your time in Albany was, was special. I know, John, you spent seven years ago, as you said, you, you won a Calder cup there and, uh, you know, so I just wanted to ask how special that was uh, working in Albany. I know you met uh, some great broadcasters. Uh, for a good friend of ours, Ken Kale is a guy that you uh, ran across. Uh, yeah, Ken up in, up in Manchester. Yeah, he's a great guy and a great broadcaster, too. Right. So uh, maybe you could just uh, talk a little bit about the AHL years and specifically how special it was to be in Albany. Well, Albany was a great town for hockey. There were great fans. We had a good relationship with the radio station. And it was where I really learned to hone my craft. You know, again, my first year, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know any of the players. I shouldn't say I didn't know what I was doing. I had a clue of what to do. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, I was I had done Providence games the year before working for a commercial station. When I was working at BZ and KOX, I did a handful of games uh, down in Providence. But anyhow, that's where I really learned to, to hone my craft to really get my systems down and, you know, just the terminology that you would use 
and and after a few years, I I really felt very comfortable. But I had great relationships with the coaches. The great late John Cuniff was a coach there. I got to know Red Gendron, who unfortunately passed away this uh, this spring. Um, we had Robbie Fatorik was our coach for the first few years there. Of course, New England fans know Robbie Fatorik very well. Yeah. Um, but it, it it was a wonderful experience, and it really helped prepare me for my days in the National Hockey League. Well, I'd like to get to the NHL in a moment, but uh, you know, you just touched on Red Gendron, and and I, I'm I'm curious uh, to get your thoughts on Red. Now, we saw him uh, lots of times when we would play Maine, whether it be up there in Orono or whether they would come to our place. Uh, Red was such a unique guy, John. He was uh, one of the smartest individuals I've ever oh, met. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it extended far beyond hockey. You know, you, he had a long hockey career, but he was well-versed on a lot of subjects. He had a great sense of humor. And I'd I just like you to kind of share your thoughts and memories of Red uh, as we uh, actually as we approach our college hockey season here. Well, Red sat across the aisle for me on the bus for probably four years. So we got to know each other very well. Right. And we often would often go out and have pizza after a game on the road if we weren't traveling. And he was a wonderful golfer, very good golfer. He could hit the heck out of the ball. Let me tell you, I played with him many times. Yeah. Um, and he's like you said, he was a very intellectual guy. You know, on the bus, I'm reading the USA Today and the New York Post, and he's reading, you know, history books and such. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but he had a warm, he had a very warm personality, a great sense of humor. And it was really a tragedy that he, that he passed this spring. And he was a great teacher of the game. Um, because he was a teacher up at uh, St. Anselon's in Vermont before the Devils hired him as their video coach way back in the early 90s, I guess it was, after after his time at Maine. I guess I'm trying to get thinking. I guess he went from St. A's to Maine and then to, to the New Jersey Devils because Maine in those days, they were cutting edge with the video under Sean Walsh. And so the right. Devils were wanted to get ahead of the ball in the NHL. Now, of course, everybody does video on all levels. Uh but yeah, Red was a, a pioneer with the video, um, and uh, I, I I miss him dearly. Yeah, we all do. And you mentioned his love of golf, and I guess it's it's appropriate, for lack of a better word, that that Red actually passed away on a golf course. Uh, you know, he was yeah. he was golfing uh, the, the day of his death, and I just remember hearing about it and just being in shock. So uh, yeah. you know, the, the the hockey world and and life in general is definitely worse off without Red Gendron. No, no, no question at all. Yeah, it is ironic that he passed on the golf course. And it, it, it's, I, I guess there was nothing they could do when the paramedics got there. He just had a massive heart attack and, and his time was up. But uh, it was, it was, it was most unfortunate and a loss for the hockey world and for all of us as friends. And Indeed. family, of course. Indeed. Well, John, you made the transition to the National Hockey League. You were uh, the voice of the New Jersey Devils. You know, you won a Stanley Cup in 2003. So uh, what what went through your mind when you made the transition, when you when you learned you were going to the National Hockey League? Uh, what, what was that like, that transition? Because that's something we all dream about, going to the National Hockey League. So what was it like for you uh, when you found out that uh, the NHL was calling? I was working at Albany and I was came to the morning skate and Bobby Carpenter was uh, our assistant coach and he came over and he said, they call me Henny. My nickname is Henny. He goes, Henny, you're getting called up. And I really didn't know what he meant. And then John Cunniff skated over and he said, Johnny, you know, John had this real gruff voice, Johnny, call, call Lou. And everybody, if you work in a devil's organization, everybody know who Lou, who Lou is, that's right. Lou Lamarillo. 
So I, I, I got the number and I called Lou and he said that uh, a gentleman named Mike Miller, who was, had been doing the games, um, was sick and they needed somebody to fill in. And uh, they had an afternoon game against Washington. And he goes, I'd like you to do that game. And I'd like you to do Monday night's game against, I think it was Pittsburgh. I can't remember the second game. And I said, okay, yes, sir. I'll, I'll be there, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and, and the elation, John, I mean, I just, I, I, I was floating. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, it just came out of absolutely nowhere. So I did two games and poor Mike, uh, he ended up having throat cancer. And I, I continued doing that year and, and in subsequent years, because uh, Mike's voice was never the same after that. Right. And, and his, his voice wasn't strong, unfortunately. And he, he got a, a front office job uh, in the, I think he went to the internet or the, or the coast. Um, but anyhow, that's how it all started. Unfortunately, somebody got sick and I got to fill in and I passed the little two game audition. And they said, you can stick around, kid. So wow. I did. <laughs> wow. That's great. That's great. And you won the Stanley Cup in 2003. Talk about that. Yeah. Talk about that playoff run and, and the excitement that you experienced when you realized, hey, this is really going to happen. Yeah. You know, it was a crazy series. It was against Anaheim. And we flew across the country a, a million times back and forth. You know, games one and two in New Jersey, then out out there for games three and four, then back to Jersey and then back to Anaheim. And I was exhausted from all the, <laughs> all the traveling, quite frankly, but it was nice to have game seven uh, in the Meadowlands and the, and the devils won that. And it was, it was a wonderful feeling and got to go into the winning locker room and, you know, the Stanley cup is there. And it, it was, it, it was surreal, John. It was like, this isn't really happening. And my wife got invited down and we're both in the winning locker room. And it was, it, it, I guess surreal is is the word. It's like, is this really happening? Am I in the winning Stanley Cup locker room? Did I just have a sip of champagne out of the Stanley Cup? Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Oh, but that's it, awesome. It, it was one, and and there were great guys on that team. That was a wonderful team. And you know, Anaheim was pretty good too. People forget about that. I mean, it went seven games. Jaguar was in net and he played very well. But uh, it was a it was a great series, and I was very happy to be part of it. And John, wasn't there a second final you went to? The Devils lost to Colorado, if my memory serves me correct. I was doing that. Mike came back for a little bit the next year, and I was doing pregame, postgame, and in-between interviews okay. for that. So I didn't do the play-by-play for that. I, I always I always joke that Ray Bork stole one of my Stanley Cup rings. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which is terrible because who deserved who deserved a Stanley Cup ring more than Ray Bork, right? But right. Uh, yeah, that's what I did. That was my function during during that series. That could have been another Stanley Cup for the Devils, and that was a great series with the Avalanche as well. Yeah, the next year. And John, you also had some experience uh, with uh, a show, the NHL Faceoff Show, where you were a host. Uh, what what did that show consist of, and and uh, how did you get involved with it? Well, you really did your homework, John. I almost forgot about that. Well, Fo- remember when Fox had the NHL yeah, package going, right. going back into the mid-90s? Well, the Fox station in, in Albany and the River Rat management decided, why don't we do a half-hour pregame show, 15 minutes kind of a preview of the NHL game, and 15 minutes on the River Rats. And so since right. I was the team broadcaster, they asked me to do it. I was happy to do it. And that, that was a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I had worked a little bit of TV when I was in graduate school uh, hosting kind of a talk show. So I had a little bit of experience. 
And, you know, it, it wasn't that complicated. You know, we, we did a little open, we played some highlights and we had guests on and, and that was a lot of fun. It was a great learning experience. And the people at Fox were wonderful. Um, so that's what that was all about. We did that for, I don't know, three or four years, something like that. Great. And yeah, and Fox 23 in Albany. But the production crew was great. Everybody was wonderful. We had a good time. And, you know, but when it was time to get down to business, we got down to business. Uh, but it was a wonderful learning experience. We're talking with John Hennessy, former National Hockey League broadcaster with the New Jersey Devils and also the AHL's Albany River Rats. Also a plenty of college hockey experience as the voice of UMass Hockey. My name is John Leahy. You're listening to Airing It Out Files from Leahy's broadcast booth. And uh, John, before we get into your time at UMass, there's one other item in my notes here that I'd like to ask you about your your time with the Albany Firebirds Arena football team. So you did some (laughs) arena football too. Uh, uh, How fun was was that experience for you that was a blast um a gentleman named mark kestisher who people might know from ES, uh, espn who does a lot of the nba games he was the voice of the firebirds but he was getting married and joe hennessy who was the president of the team no relation believe it or not okay called me up and said would you like to do some arena football league games and i hadn't i think i had been at one game and I said, I, I really don't know anything about it. I, I, I don't want to embarrass myself, and I, I don't want to embarrass the, the Firebirds. And so he said, well, come over. We'll, we'll teach you. And I'm like, how difficult can it be? You know football. I'm like, yeah, I know football, but I, right. you know, the, the rules of the field is different. The rules are different. There's a different amount of players. So I agreed to do it, and that was fun. We had to go to Florida three times. Have you ever been to Florida in the summer? Oh, my God. Pretty hot hot. down there. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the buildings had no air conditioning, and it it was in uh, in West Palm Beach. Mm. It's hard to complain about being in West Palm Beach, but it was really hot. And they went all the way to the semifinals of the Arena League, in the Arena League, and they lost to the Iowa barnstormers um and that was that was the end of it so that was the end of i just did i probably did about seven games i guess great stuff you know i had a guest on uh, i think it was last month uh, chris cuthbert who does uh, hockey night in canada and he's oh, wow. a, he's a big uh, canadian football uh, indoor broadcaster so uh okay. yeah that that's that's a lot of fun uh, to have that opportunity to do that i'm sure and you know who the guess who the quarterback was for iowa kurt warner was oh their of course yeah he had a pretty <laughs> yeah. good career in the nfl didn't he <laughs> yes yeah. he did won the super bowl <laughs> Yep. Absolutely. Well, John, I'd like to bring it back to college hockey, if I could. Sure. And uh, I know you uh, you had a great run uh, as the play-by-play voice of uh, UMass. And the first thing I'm going to ask you about for UMass, obviously, is the national title they won last year. Uh, a lot of people said it's a long time coming for that program. They had a lot of lean years. And to see the Minutemen uh, walk away with the national title uh, was very special. I'm glad that Hockey East uh, represented the, the title again. But uh, for UMass to win it, uh, it had to be special just because of all the hard times they've had to go through to get there. And what a special time it is in Amherst for college hockey right now. Yeah, it really was. Like you said, there were, there were some lean years. And boy, they turned it around really quickly. I mean, they, they were in, in the final last year. And they, they, you know, they could have easily won it two years in a row. You know, they had Makar obviously last year, but they had a more balanced attack this year. But they were, uh, 
obviously a, a, a terrific team, a well-coached team. And um, yeah, it was my, my days in Amherst were, were really a lot of fun. And it was actually Red Gendron who led me to go there uh, to UMass because I had been working at all. I went back to Albany after my day, days in New Jersey were over. And Red says, we don't make a lot of money, but we have a lot of fun. And I said, okay, that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up going to UMass and uh, the rest is history. It was it was some fun years there. And I worked with a great broadcaster in Brock Hines. He was my color guy. And he's been there since, I think, day one when they went to, back to Division One. Um, so, yeah, the Amherst yeah. days were fun. The Amherst days were a lot of fun. Absolutely. And, you know, I would like to touch on Brock. Uh, I've had him on the podcast a few times and, uh, yeah, boy, yeah. he's, he's one of the special guys in our business. You know, he's, uh, he's, he, he works full time, uh, doing insurance work, but boy, this man is so devoted to hockey. Uh, one of the nicest guys I've worked with. He's knowledgeable, he's prepared. And I was so thrilled to see him uh, get a chance to experience a championship. But I'd like to get your thoughts on Brock and what it was like working with him. I know I have my own feelings about it, and I, I, I know how special the guy is. But I'd like to hear it from your perspective, how fun sure. it was to work with Brock. It was, a, it was a lot of fun to work with Brock. And, and you said it, the man is a true gentleman uh, away from the rink. You know, he has to run his own business, but he's always so prepared. And he always gets scoops. He gets good scoops because that comes from yeah. his preparation. <laughs> um, now, Brock is a wonderful analyst. And, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, he worked on radio for over 20 years. He's got an opportunity to do color on some Nesson games and some TV, other TV games. Absolutely. So, so that was wonderful for him to get the opportunity to do that. Uh, but, no, Brock is, was, is a really good analyst. And, and a real gentleman, and it was it was great to work with him. It was a, a real pleasure to work with Brock. Absolutely. And, you know, you had a chance to work with a, a coach who uh, was around forever, Toot Cahoon. And, uh, uh, you know, I had a chance to yeah. interview Toot for my book. And, and boy, he, he, he is just a, a – a, a fountain of knowledge, you know, and he just he makes you feel welcome whenever you talk with him. And we have we had him on doing a TV analysis for Merrimack as well. And Toots the kind of guy that you can just sit there and just be mesmerized for hours with his hockey talk. And I know you you had a chance to work with him as well. So uh, just maybe your thoughts on working with uh, sure. Coach Cahoon. You know, I was really appreciative in my first year at UMass. He made me feel so welcome. You know, getting back into college hockey, I had to learn, you know, the players, all these new players, both on UMass and other teams. But his door was always open, um, had a lot of great conversations. Like you say, he's a great historian of, of the college game and hockey in general terms and, and, and Massachusetts hockey in general, too. You know, from the high school level at all levels in, in Massachusetts hockey. But but and he was a lot of fun to be around, too. He's, as you know, he's got a big personality. And did a nice job on the on the on the TV broadcast with you guys, but no, like I say, when he he was so welcoming when I first got to UMass, I always appreciate that, and and we had a lot of fun on the road too. He was a lot of fun to be around on the road. Absolutely, and John, you know, we talked about your your time at Providence, so I know you're still very uh, very much connected to the Friars, and uh, they've got a pretty good one, a pretty good guy doing their games as well, Mike Logan. He's been around a uh -huh. long, long time as well. So yeah. Pro Providence is very lucky to have him as well. Yeah, Mike's been there, I think, twenty five years. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. I think yeah. I think this might be his twenty sixth year. 
And yeah, he's a wonderful guy. Like like I say, how to Cahoon was welcoming. So was Mike. And so are you on when I first came to do a game at Merrimack. Yeah, Mike's a good guy, wonderful broadcaster, great knowledge of the of the Friars and Hockey East. And yeah, he's he's gosh, I can't believe it's been 26 years. We're getting old, John. I can't <laughs> believe he's been there for 26 years. But Mike's a good guy and a good friend. We text back and forth and uh I look forward to seeing them this year. I'll be popping up to a few Providence games for sure this coming season. And, John, isn't it fun, you know, when you do games, for example, in Hockey East, and you get to go around and travel and meet all the broadcasters of the league, and you realize how special this fraternity is. You know, you got guys yes. you got guys who've been there forever. Bernie Corbett up at BU. Rob, You mentioned Rob Rodnick earlier. Mike yeah. Logan, of course. And, uh, you know, it's just it gets more and more fun, you know, uh, as time passes. And, and I know you were a big part of the hockey East culture and, and it really is so much fun to be a part of it, isn't it? It really is. It, it developed great relationships with the other broadcasters and you rely on each other for, you know, for information and, you know, little scoops about the other team and and whatnot. And, yeah, Rob Rudnick, when I was when I was a student, I remember how good he was to me, too. And Rob has been. Wow, he's like I said, we're getting old. Rob has been there even longer than than Mike's been at Providence. I mean, and I go so far back in college hockey. I predated Hockey East. I did games when it was ECAC. There was right. ECAC East and ECAC West. And I remember when Merrimack came turned D one. <laughs> you know, right? And right. so I, it's gosh, when I when I think about it, it's I, I go way back in college hockey, and it's it's always been great. It's always been wonderful. And the, and the coaches, too. You know, you have a good relationship with the coaches, especially when you've been there for a few years and they get to know you a little bit. So there is a great fraternity with uh, with the broadcasters and the coaches as well. Yeah, right. And, you know, when I think about the guys in our league, you know, like you said, Mike Logan, 26 years, Bernie Corbett, even longer than that. Rob's been there. Uh, forever and you know you think wow you know these guys are these guys are like legends you know it's easy to get starstruck and then i i think of the fact that hey i'm coming up on 17 years at merrimack myself so uh you know uh, yeah yeah thank you and it's it's just uh it's just a testament to to doing what we love and, and loving what we do and, and being fortunate uh, and thankful to be in this profession. And, uh, John, I know you've had as long a career as anybody, and uh, uh, it, it's just you, – you're just really thankful for having the opportunity to do this. We're blessed. We, we really are. I mean, all, all my neighbors are like, oh, you've got the best job. We all wanted to be a broadcaster, and you got to be a broadcaster. But we're 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 very fortunate. There's there's just no question about it. Like I say, we're we're blessed because all little kids want to be you either want to be the guy that scores the goal winning <clears throat> excuse me, the game winning goal, or be the guy that broadcasts it. Or sometimes you do both. You score the game winning goal <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you also announce it. <laughs> yeah. It, it starts out, you know, you, you start by uh wanting to be a professional athlete. You know, I did. Right. I I wanted to be an NHL player. And then when you realize you kind of suck at being an athlete, then you think, well, you know, what, what's the next step? Well, let me broadcast the games. And, and, you know, fortunately, fortunately, that's the way it was in my case. But uh, I, I'm curious as to, as to what you, you think uh, is going to happen at, at Mullen Center on uh, on opening night when the uh, Minutemen uh, raise the banner to the roof of the Mullen Center. Uh, how special and electric do you think that'll be? It, oh, it'll be a madhouse. I, you know, I, to tell you the truth, I'm, I I don't know who they're going to open against. I, I, I should yeah, know, and I don't know who. Yeah, it's Minnesota State, actually. Oh, it's Minnesota State. Okay. 
Yeah, so that'll be a wonderful ceremony. They'll pack that place. There'll be 8,000 people in that arena. And that place can really rock. I mean, during the lean days, you know, it was kind of quiet in there. But, boy, when the BC, BU, and those, some of the bigger programs come in, and now in general, like last year, they, they did wonderful at the gate. But that place is going to rock when they raise that banner. I, I, maybe I'll take a drive up to Amherst that night. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I probably have to work that night, but but I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. I guess, uh, John, are you? Uh, what are you doing these days? Are you still involved uh, with the broadcasting industry? I certainly hope you are, because uh, you're an you're an exceptional talent. So uh, tell us what you're up to these days. Well, I'm basically retired, uh, John. To tell you the truth, if the right opportunity came along, I would probably take it. But I'm I'm comfortable. I live in New Jersey. I've I've never moved since my Devil days. My wife runs an advertising agency, and and I, I I try to help her out with things at the at the advertising agency and just things around the house. But uh, you know the itch might come back because I'm not that old yet. I'm 61, but uh, uh, I'm you know I'm either semi-retired or unemployed. I don't know which it is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever have a chance, John, to speak to people that are either early in the broadcasting uh, industry or want to get into Do you ever have the opportunity to give advice to people? Every once in a while. Um, some people that have worked with my wife have, have said, oh, their son wants to get into broadcasting, you know, like high school students. And uh, I, I've talked to a few kids over the years. Uh, not, not many, though, to tell you the truth. Maybe, you know, over the years, maybe five to 10 kids, some, you know, youngsters and try to give them good advice. Um, but everybody wants to go work at uh, WFAN. They don't want right. to, they don't want to, you know, they want to, they don't want to pay their dues and work at a smaller station. You know, for me coming up, I was fortunate that there was, you know, a station like WKOX, which was, you know, mid, nice mid-sized station. I was fortunate to get, get in there and get my feet wet. Uh, but the way the industry has turned, there's less and less opportunities. And now there's so much satellite um, radio. There's less and less opportunities for, for people to get started in the industry. But there's other there's other platforms, like this platform we're speaking on right now. Um, right. So, a lot so, of podcasts out there. I'm curious, John. During the pandemic, a lot of broadcasters had to call games off monitors. You know, they couldn't uh, be physically uh-huh. in the arena. So let me get your quick thoughts on, on that and, and how it, it impacts how we do our jobs. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't imagine doing a hockey game off a monitor. I tip my hat to you guys that had to do that last year. That had to be extremely, extremely difficult. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't, how was it for you, John? Did you, did you, did you do games? You had to do games off a monitor for some games, right? Well, we were not allowed to go on the road last year. So we only wound up, yeah, we only wound up doing six or seven home games. So it wasn't an issue for me, but, uh, I'm curious just to get your thoughts on, on how it was for the people that had to do it. Yeah. I, extreme preparation and very good monitors. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, you know, you really must have good monitors and, um, and a little bit of luck. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I, I can't imagine. I really can't imagine doing it, John. I, I, it had to be extremely difficult. Absolutely. Well, before I let you go, John, you, you know, you you, yeah. t- you touched on this a moment ago. Uh, WABC, uh, that's one of the stations you worked at doing the Devils mm-hmm. games, along with WFAN. So, broadcasting for a major station in a major market. Uh, you know, how fun was that? It was a blast. You know, my parents were they, my parents were alive at the time, and they were able to listen to games on the radio. So that that made me feel very proud. Um, yeah, to be on 
WFAN in New York, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest, it was the first sports talk uh, station in the country, you know, and along with some of the Boston stations, obviously one of the biggest. And ABC was a blast. Uh, the people there were wonderful to us. And we were there, I guess, four years. And then I was on FAN for one year. Uh, but yeah, to be in a major market on a, on, a, on one of the biggest stations was 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 really fulfilling, you know, fulfilling a, a lifetime dream. Well, John, uh, we're running out of time here, so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I can't thank you enough for being here. I, I truly appreciate your friendship and the professionalism and skill that you've exhibited over the years. I've learned a lot from watching you. And, uh, you know, for you to be able to spend some time here on the podcast, I know it's going to be a real treat for our listening audience. So uh, thank you again, my friend. And it's always a pleasure. And I look forward to speaking with you down the road. I had a blast, John. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for reaching out. All right. Uh, you've been listening to Airing It Out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth with our special guest, John Hennessy, former National Hockey League and AHL play-by-play announcer as well as college hockey. We will be back next week with another edition of the podcast. I do not have a guest at the moment, but I am close to getting one, so uh, stay with us and we'll have another episode next week. Until then, we wish you so long and thanks for tuning in. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, Rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org. The Ted Williams Camp alumni is raising funds for the Jimmy Fund. Each time they have surpassed their goal, and for their 2022 event, they hope to do the same. They are looking for any and all donations, such as items, services, tickets, gift cards, etc., for their ongoing online auction and their in-person auction at their main event. If any businesses would be willing to have a canister or host a fundraising event, they'd love to get you on the schedule. Thank you in advance for your support. Feel free to contact Favoloso Weddings and Events or Joe LaRusso on Facebook for any information or questions. The Jimmy Fund, supporting Dana-Farber Cancer Institute.